0: dot com slash google teacher pod you can search the archive and check out the show notes for each and every episode of the google teacher podcast thank you for your continued support and may the googles be with you
1: I'm Dr. Molly Ness, host of the End Book Deserts podcast, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Welcome to episode 107 of the Google Teacher Podcast, your source for the latest Google for Education news, tips, tricks, and ideas you can use in class tomorrow. I'm Casey Bell from Shake Up Learning.
2: I'm Matt Miller from Ditch That Textbook. And in this episode, first of all, Casey and I are back together in the episode. Thank goodness, because I keep telling her how weird it was after like talk to myself the whole time. It was just, yeah, but you all, you know that, so... Anyway, we are excited to be, we're super excited to be back together again. And in this episode, we're going to be talking about the ISTE standards. We're going to do sort of a uh, 30,000 foot flyover of what the ISTE student standards look like, which are, in my opinion, just like a wealth of ideas of, of things that you can bring into your classroom. So we're going to touch on all of those. Of course, we've got Google News and Updates to share with you. We've got some feedback from our listeners, and we got a couple of blog posts to share with you. So, Casey, shall we get started? Let's do this. (laughs)
1: Let's talk about some Google News and Updates. So, I have an update that I want to share that really does not come from one official post like a lot of our updates do but because it is probably a topic that is at top of mind right now for you and other teachers who use Google Classroom. So our new interface has begun rolling out. Some of you may see it. Some of you may still be waiting just a little bit, but I believe most people should see it by now. And I told Matt, I'm flying by the seat of my pants. I have not really done anything but looked at like the first little (laughs) screen And I'm going to purposely do this on air with you today while I get those pop-ups. So I really like that when new updates come out in Google Classroom, they add those little pop-ups to point out the new stuff. Mainly what you're going to see is on the Classwork page. It looks just a little bit different, but I think you'll find that most stuff is very similar. So if you click on Create and you go to Assignment, so you'll see... a big window pop-up where you add all that usual information. It just happens to be in a few new places. So the pop-up is telling me add or create materials. So we have that little paper clip to add attachments. And then we also have the create button right there inside the assignment. So you can create a template or a document or a choice board or whatever on the fly right here instead of having to do it separately. Of course, we've got the title, we've got the instructions, and then over to the right-hand side you'll see a sidebar for some other things. So you'll see um, the drop down four which I'm thinking is the categories. I should have done this in a different account. I don't really use Google Classroom in this account, so things are like brand spanking new, it's not really set up. You can choose the students like we talked about before where you select, you know, one or a group or if you're assigning it to everyone. The point scale is there if you're going to put the point scale, and you can add the ungraded option that's in the dropdown, the due date, and the topic. No, so to- that wasn't topics. That was for the grade book, I think. Yes, the grade book at the top. See, I told you I'm learning this as we go. And then the <laughs> new thing where we can add the rubric. So that little plus sign to be able to add the rubric that I was. Um, that we mentioned a couple weeks ago, I think in one of our announcements, but I did include a link in the show notes to a post from our good friend, Alice Keeler, who kind of walks through some of these new things. And of course, Alice likes to put her own spin on it. She's reminding us all that change is good. Embrace the change. (laughs) You'll learn something new. Figure it out. Click on stuff. Don't be afraid. So just jump in there, check it out. Let us know what you think.
2: I love when Alice does that. She kind of editorializes a little bit, reminds us of the finer things in life. So uh,
1: a little bit.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're so yeah. 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 Yeah, exactly. <gasps> so, yeah. So good stuff. We will, we will all be better in the end, thanks to this interface, hopefully. So um, the next one we've got comes from Google Earth. And um, this one kind of touches on something that has been around for a while, I guess, that I didn't totally realize was here. And it's this thing called EarthView. And the, the idea behind EarthView, which you can find at earthview.withgoogle.com, is that it's basically this collection of thousands of the planet's most beautiful landscapes seen from space. So these are all images that are taken from satellite imagery and turned into images that are used for sometimes are used for wallpapers for Android devices. If you have a Chromecast or a Google Home and you have screensavers on it, like I've got a Chromecast set up in my um on the TV in my bedroom, and it will scroll through a lot of those images, and um basically, you know, it is just they they've curated this list of all of these. You know, gorgeous images from all around the world. Like there's this um, amazing vivid red and blue one from the Hale province of Saudi Arabia. There's one from Australia that has this like gorgeous teal color on the on the coastline. There's a spot from Venezuela with like a fishing boat out in this, you know, kinda like aquamarine colored water. They take all these images and they pull them in in super high resolution. So the reason this is newsworthy is that they have just dumped a thousand new images into this collection. And then they've also got this really cool color map. They say that it's all available through the EarthView gallery, which again, you can find at earthview.withgoogle.com. And they've also got a Chrome extension you can use. But they've got this color map where at the bottom, it's got the color spectrum. And you can click on a specific color and it will show you all of these little dots all over the world map showing you pictures that have that that feature that specific color. So if you love the color green or the color blue or whatever and want to find a picture that highlights that color, you can just click on it and you'll see all of these dots and you can go select one. Really really pretty cool stuff. This is something that's been around for a little while but it's got a little bit of an update and it is just kind of amazing to see how gorgeous our world is, especially from, you know, from space. Almost like from thirty thousand feet, like you're flying over it in in an airplane. You know, I'm sure there there are connections with this to to the classroom in some ways.
1: Gorgeous. These pictures are amazing. You could just stare at them I feel like for hours Mm -hmm. but I did think of something so the writing teacher in me says writing prompts you know some of these pictures depending on how how far away you are you can't necessarily see exactly what it is so from far away you know, sometimes things look like art. Sometimes things look super organized that we feel are much more chaotic when you get down on the street view. But mm-hmm. being able to use these for writing prompts to inspire some creativity in your classroom. And guess what, y'all? That's an ISTE standard too. Woo! Boom, uh, we already hit it. Wow.
2: So-
1: <laughs> We're on a roll today. We got a lot of stuff to share. The next update that I want to share is just short and sweet, but for those of you who have iOS devices. So if you have iPhones or iPads in, your classrooms are in your own pockets. So you may be interested to know that they have added some helpful shortcuts for some of the Google apps that we use on our iOS devices. And a lot of these are Siri shortcuts. So you can actually set up a Siri shortcut to search with Google. Because, oh my gosh, it drives me crazy when Siri searches anything else. Oh, disaster. But you can set that up. You can have it search YouTube. You can search your um, Gmail. You can also send emails. So you can set up all of those shortcuts in the shortcuts app on your iOS device, as well as check out just the updates in iOS. I I feel like every Apple device I had has been updating over the last couple of days and I'm having to re-enter all kinds of passwords. But you know, as Hellas has taught us, change is good. We must embrace it. So, (laughs) uh, but new things to explore with your iOS devices.
2: Always good with going with uh, shortcuts if they're voice ones or keyboard ones or whatever. We've got one more quick thing to share with you. Uh, this is a post about Chromebooks. This just popped up on the keyword blog. It says, from pop quiz to final exam, Chromebooks pass the test. And I think what they're doing here is they're, they're kind of rehashing some of the options that are out there for doing assessments, whether they're classroom assessments or like state standardized tests or whatever. So we'll just uh, kind of zoom through these. Uh, not a whole lot that's like brand new here. One of the things they remind us of is that we have the locked mode in quizzes. You know, basically it says that locked mode takes over the screen so students can't navigate away until they submit their answers. Um, this is still, correct me if I'm wrong, Casey, this is still for managed Chromebooks, right? I believe so, yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think so too. So, um, so if that is your jam, then, um, that's, that's something you can do to, to kind of, take control of that testing environment. Um, Another thing that they suggest is that if you have high state and I'm not talking about like T-bones y'all, I'm it's high stakes tests. I just said y'all, I don't know where that came from. I was at TCEA recently (laughs) in Austin, Texas. I think the y'alls have soaked into me. So anyway, um, I'm I'm thinking about stakes. Oh, that's not good. You got anyway. You
1: could have had that in Texas too. So <laughs>
2: right, that's true. So if you're having high stakes tests, not T-bones, um you have kiosk mode, um where administrators can use Chromebooks for high, these high stakes tests um to make the exam app run in full screen <laughs> mode. What did I say? Did I mess it up again?
1: Nothing, I'm just listening to you. No, I'm just listening to you. <laughs> try to get through it and I'm trying not to laugh.
2: Sorry. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Sorry, folks. We're going to, we're going to get through this. Um, so you can make the exam app run in full screen so that they can't switch off of it and everything. Um, so that's nice. And then they've also got, um, support for all types of learners. So they mentioned things like text help, um, you know, text help works in Google forms, quizzes. It works in Pearson's test nav. So you can use uh, Read&Write and, and EquatIO. These are all things that will help students to be able to, you know, to read, write, create mathematical equations. Um, there's co-writer and Snap&Read. And all of these things are examples of things that give a little bit more accessibility to students that need it. So still those handful of things that are available with our Chromebooks. So if you want to check out any of those things we mentioned in there, um, feel free to go to our show notes at googleteacherpodcast.com slash 107. All right, folks, today we are going to be diving into the ISTE student standards. And if you're not familiar with these standards, I see these less as you know, something that you're bound to do that you have to do that it's like, you know, a drag and it's constricting. I see these more as a great source of ideas. So we've basically got these seven different areas that, you know, encourage different kinds of learning within our classroom that fits in really well with technology. And they can really be used in powerful ways, I think, to guide our instruction and to guide student learning.
1: Totally agree. And we're not really just unpacking standards today. That's not really how we roll. (laughs) But we do like to share how Google tools can help support these ideas. And I feel like once you dig into these standards, first of all, it is our duty to make sure everybody's aware that these exist, whether they're required or tested. They are, like Matt said, great inspiration to make sure that we are integrating technology meaningfully in the classroom. So I refer to these often. I know Matt refers to these often. And we're just going to dig in. We're going to give you some quick hits. I know we've got more in the show notes than we have time to cover. So be sure that you do visit those show notes at googleteacherpodcast.com slash 107. And we'll have additional links and things there for you.
2: Yes, absolutely. So we're just going to jump right into these. If you haven't been through them very much, um, you know, you'll, you'll get to sort of the, the overview of what they're about. And if you have been into them before, this is, you know, kind of a, a good reminder. And as we talk about them, it might spark some ideas that you can use too. So the first one I wanted to talk about was the knowledge constructor one. So knowledge constructor is this. Students critically curate a variety of resources using digital tools To construct knowledge, produce creative artifacts, and make meaningful learning experiences for themselves and others. And when I see this, I'm seeing critically curate a variety of resources, of course, using digital tools. And I think that... When it comes to curation, you know, basically, uh, you know, curation is kind of like what they do in an art gallery or a museum. They pick the best things and they put them into a collection and then they talk about why they were chosen and what the collection stands for. And I really think that with this, this is going to become an increasingly important skill as we go into the future because we know the internet is a behemoth. It's enormous and it's not getting any smaller. And the the idea is not to find all of the resources that we can. The idea is to find the best resources and the most useful ones so that we don't end up wasting our time. And so developing that curation skill set can be really, really, really helpful for students. Um, there's a variety of things that we can do with that. Um, for instance... I'm a big proponent of doing Wakelet collections. If you're not familiar with Wakelet, um, Wakelet, you know, technically is not a Google tool, but they do have a Chrome extension that integrates really, really nicely with lots of the Google tools. And you can embed Wakelets in Google Sites. So they do play together very nicely. But Wakelet is a place where you can make a collection of images, text, text, um, files, uh, social media posts, just a variety of things. And so it's a really good place to pull in, you know, different items that students have been learning and talk about why they fit in the list. You've also got the ability to create YouTube playlists and those can even be done collaboratively. So having students work together on those to, um, create a collaborative set of YouTube videos that are instructional videos or supporting what, um, you know, what we're learning can be really good. And then of course, you know, Google Slides. You know, Casey and I do love Google Slides. Um, there's an awful lot that we can I hate use slides, to create. Matt. What are you
1: talking about?
2: What but but, <laughs> but yet <yeah>, okay. <laughs> Sorry. I, <laughs> we're gonna have a hard enough
1: time fitting everything <laughs> in here. I shouldn't have interrupted. I know. Oh, yeah. I'm on I'm on a roll today.
2: Yeah, you are. That's right. Did you have sweet tea?
1: Keep going. We love slides, yes.
2: Yeah. So create lots of options for creating, curating. We've got some links to uh, some resources on that in the show notes as well. So, knowledge constructor, critically curating a variety of resources.
1: Okay. I'm going to move over to my favorite one. So, I talk about empowered learner probably the most out of all of the ISTE strands. I feel like to me, this one hits on some missing pieces in our learning. So, Essentially it's defined as student students leverage technology to take an active role in choosing, achieving and demonstrating competency in their learning goals informed by the learning sciences. Da, 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 what does that mean? So, <laughs> what I love is that we are talking about goals goal setting more specifically and I feel like that's something we don't give students enough opportunity to do in the classroom and I mean truly asking them not only what are their goals for your classroom and what they're learning there but what else do they want to learn if they had the opportunity to learn anything what would they want to learn this is going to build relationships with your kiddos there are lots of Google tools that was, will support this. So whether this is happening in a discussion level or maybe you're asking this in a Google Forms survey or even using things like Google Keep to do goal setting, it's, throw it into a Google Doc, you can do goal setting anywhere. So I really hope that a lot of teachers will consider this because this keeps us reflecting on our learning. We revisit these goals. We talk about what we've accomplished, how many steps we have to get there. So Empowered Learner for me, when I saw this one, having learning goals articulated, I feel like is really important in this. And the other side of this is to help students choose and achieve, right? They're demonstrating their competencies. So student choice is the other huge piece of this for me. And if you've listened to anything I've shared over the years, you'll know that I'm a huge fan of student choice, choice boards, genius hour empower students in a lot of ways. It incorporates pretty much everything we were already talking about, but There are so many different ways that we can use these Google tools to support and empower the learners in our classrooms. So I do have an old blog post specifically on using Google tools for the Empowered Learner strand, too. So that will be in our show notes if you're interested.
2: It's not an old blog post. It's just a well-aged blog post. Right. It
1: gets better with time, especially right. when it's Google, right? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> Just to let everybody know before you start knocking me because it's out of date.
2: No, 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 no. Okay. So Nobody Casey got, does that. No, no, of course not. Casey got to talk about her favorite one. So now I get to talk about my favorite one. Although there's another one up here that I think both of us love very dearly. Casey's going to talk about that one, but, um, the one that I'm going to touch on is the global collaborator one. This one has had such an impact on my own students in my own classroom. So this one says students use digital tools to broaden their perspectives and enrich their learning by collaborating with others and working effectively in teams locally and globally. So lots and lots of collaboration. So what I'm seeing here is that they're broadening their perspectives and enriching their learning through collaboration, through working together. I saw so much in this whenever I started connecting my classes. Remember, I taught high school Spanish um, with other classes in different states and different countries. You know, for me, that ended up being a lot of interactions between classes. So we would get onto a video call, you know, something like a Google hangout or a Google meet or a Skype call or a zoom call or whatever. I was able to find a lot of these, uh, other classes through, it was actually through a Skype resource through Skype in the or you can find it at education.skype.com. And they have a great, great, uh, database of being able to find other classes and virtual guest speakers and virtual field trips. Um, But we did some of the coolest stuff together. Um, I had my students in my class. They paired up. So two of my students would pair up with two kids in a class from Valencia, Spain. And between the four of them on two different devices doing a video call together, they had a variety of activities they did um, synchronously while they were on the call, but then asynchronously when they were in a collaborative shared document. And so they would get together and ask each other questions and share images and, you know, just work together in that same digital space. And I know my students from, you know, West Central Indiana, uh, not very culturally diverse, uh, many of them haven't not having traveled very far. uh, It really did a lot to broaden their perspectives, like it says in this standard. And, you know, a lot of it was just, you know, me not having ever done any of that stuff and deciding I was going to try it. Uh, with my students and we were going to learn together. And so um, that one has had an enormous impact. And I think the ability to broaden your global perspective is so important because the world, you know, continues to be more and more of a globally connected place. And so I think anything we can do there is just icing on the cake.
1: And I think it's important to note too, that there's a lot of overlap between these standards that looking at them as silos and the different strategies that we're talking about, I'm already saying, but this one also fits with this standard. So we can cover multiple standards with one activity. But I just wanted to point that out because I feel like sometimes we tend to break things down and unpack them individually, but they do work well together. And in fact, they really work well with the four C's. This is everywhere. So Another powerful superfood of learning is the four C's that I refer to often in everything that I do. So I'm going to hit the one that Matt was referring to, and we're going to hit creative communicator. So students communicate clearly and express themselves creatively for a variety of purposes, using the platforms, tools, styles, formats, and digital media appropriate to their goals. There's that tie back to the goals again. And creative communicator, I feel like is something we have shared a lot here on the tribe as well. And something as a language arts minded teacher that I naturally think of different types of of media for communication. So we've got a lot of different ideas to share with you and some links back to some resources. But Matt and I both talk about comic strips and storytelling in a lot of different ways. But Google Drawings or Google Slides make the perfect companion for creating things like comic strips and getting students to tell their stories and create and and to be concise. Remember, a comic strip is, is almost like a a burst or of a shortened version of a story, and oftentimes it can change the tone and mood of a story, putting it into a comic strip as well. Now we also have the option to have students communicate through e-portfolios, and we love using Google Sites for e-portfolios. Uh, Mike Muhammad has shared a lot of resources with me; has a guest post on how he uses e-portfolios with his high school physics classrooms. But there are many ways to get students sharing their learning and putting this out there for the world, which we're now connecting back to Global Collaborator, and being able to create in different ways. So y'all know I've shared several times the magnetic poetry templates that I've created over the years. And same thing, when you're forced to use a shortened amount of vocabulary to tell something, to explain something, to be a creative poem or however you're using it, it definitely can kick things up a notch. So just keeping that in mind that all of these things are at our fingertips. And I feel like most of the productivity suite in G Suite allows us to creatively communicate if we just move past
2: that substitution level. Casey and I do love our creative communication. I want to move right along to the next one, which is the computational thinker which is kind of outside of my you know, comfort zone, so to speak, being a language teacher. But I think it's super important. And I think all of us can do it. So here's, um, here's what Computational Thinker says. Students develop and employ strategies for understanding and solving problems in ways that leverage the power of technological methods to develop and test solutions. So we're understanding and solving problems um, in ways that base, basically harness technology. And so I'm seeing all sorts of, you know, you know, computational thinking is at the heart of coding and computer science and all of that stuff. And, you know, computational thinking doesn't necessarily need to be taught through the lens of coding and computer science a lot of the, the basic fundamental features of computational thinking um, are the kinds of things that we use every single day. For instance, how about if-then conditional logic? If-then, if-this, then-that. Um, we see this a lot in Google Forms, for instance. If someone, if you set up a Google Form and you have multiple choices, and if someone chooses one option, they can be sent to a completely different place than if they choose another option. That's if-then logic. That's conditional logic, which is a part of computational thinking. This is the set, you know, the toolbox of skills that um, computer scientists and computational thinkers use. Another one that, that uses that same conditional logic is is, you know, choose your own adventure stories or choice stories or whatever you want to call them. Um, you can set those up in Google Slides. And whenever someone clicks on a link, it can send them to a different slide based on the different answers. And of course, there's so many other resources that play into this too. We've got made with code, um, CS first, a uh, teachable machine, even, you know, project-based learning totally plays into this too. And of course, we've got lots of links to different resources if you want to dig deep into that.
1: Moving on to a strand, I feel like we hit very well back in episode 105. So I won't spend a lot of time repeating what we covered in 105, but we're talking about digital citizenship. So students recognize the rights, responsibilities, and opportunities of living, learning, and working in an interconnected digital world. And they act and model in ways that are safe, legal, and ethical. Ooh, that's That's a lot in a sentence. And when we think about what things are happening behind the scenes with some of our students this could not be more important so back in episode 105 we hit on the be internet awesome program the curriculum from google we also hit on the um forgetting word the digital citizenship training for teachers that's free and available there i'm going to hit on a couple of other things number 1 citing sources in Google Docs. So there is a way to insert footnote citations. If you didn't know, this is built into Google Docs. Yes, I realize everybody doesn't like the footnote version, but bear with me. It's better than what we have. It's better than what my sixth graders could do. So I remember teaching citations and it was a thorn in my side. So being able to have this at our fingertips and of course there's lots of other tools out there, but this one happens to be built into Google Docs Searching for images and teaching students how to search for um, the images that they have the rights to use, you know, not just doing an open Google search. Teaching students how to do proper searches, how to use keywords, what's the difference, how do we find those answers? There are a lot of different options out there, but I want to be sure that we are making sure, (laughs) I want to make sure that we're making sure that. Mm These skills are embedded in what we're doing. They are very important. And even though they may not show up on every standardized test in the world to prepare them to be citizens in this 21st century, it is critical that we begin to embed digital citizenship into everything that we do.
2: Yeah, it really has to do with, you know, the entire well-being of the student, because if if that side of their life starts to go downhill, it really affects everything. And so, you know, if we want them to, you know, <laughs> selfishly for our class to be at their best so that they can do well in our class, um, but even more broadly for them to be at their best in general, this is this has got to be a part of it. Last one. This one is the Innovative Designer Standard. And here's what this one says for innovative designer. Students use a variety of technologies within a design process to identify and solve problems by creating new, useful or imaginative solutions. So the two things that speak to me out of that are design process and solutions. And when I see design process, of course, this makes me think of design thinking, you know, that that cycle of empathizing with the people that we want to serve, brainstorming lots of possibilities, taking one, testing it out, iterating, and then you know, finalizing our project, and you see lots and lots of educators talking about design thinking and how it plays into the classroom. One of my favorite examples of that, and of course, this is this is sort of stretching it far because he was able to make a class out of this. Uh, Don Wetrick used to teach a class called Innovation and Open Source Learning. Don Wetrick is a um, he was an educator here in Indiana, about an hour and a half from my house, actually. Um, and got to teach this, this really cool, innovative class where students basically got to do genius hour all the time. They basically got to see, you know, what is a problem I'd like to solve? What is something I'm passionate about that I'd like to bring into the world? And by using a form of design thinking, basically, his students were able to create apps, host events, create businesses. I mean, all of these things within the confines of um, the classroom and the school. Now, of course, within a more traditional classroom, this is even possible too, because once we've learned something, once we've done something in class, if it can benefit others, or if it can help us to solve problems, um, create solutions, then we can use this design thinking process to support all of that as well. So innovative designer, that one goes along with computational thinker, creative communicator, global collaborator, knowledge constructor digital citizen empowered learner folks these are the ISTE student standards and so of course we've got links to all of these standards and lots of things you can do with them if you want to do a deep dive on any of this please head over to our show notes at google teacher slash 107
1: So I wasn't sure we were going to make it through all seven of those in one episode, but somehow we did it, tried to keep it short and sweet, hit the highlights, but there are tons of things. This could have been seven different episodes. Literally, there's so much that goes with this. So we hope that this is bringing the idea of the ISTE standards to the forefront. I'm going to jump into the blogosphere here. Does anybody still call it that, the blogosphere? We do. So I have a post I want to... <laughs> we do. I want I want to share with you a post and a new podcast episode from the Shake Up Learning show that I did that's all about the accessibility tools that are built into Google so that we can reach all learners in our classroom. So I took a deep dive into what's out there, talking about some things that you may or may not know are available and ready, whether it is accommodations or just helping us reach the different types of learners that we have in our classroom. So lots of different things in terms of helping students who may not be able to manipulate a mouse, contrasting colors, getting our hands into the voice Typing in Google Docs, the speech to text that's available in other places and on Chromebooks and other devices, as well as text to speech, giving us that dictation option, but lots of different things that were explored. And so you can choose to read it or listen to the podcast version if you want to. That is available on the ShakeUp Learning blog.
2: I also wanted to share a resource that we've got available on the ditch that textbook blog all the time. And it is our video library on our YouTube channel. We've been, you know, publishing videos out to this thing for years and years and years now. And we've pulled everything together into a handful of helpful playlists. And, um, you know, it's kind of like, you know, an an option to upgrade your tech skills, Netflix style, you know, think of those Netflix binges or being able to go and search for exactly what you want. So, um, we've got Google how to videos, teaching ideas, um, digital tools, tips and tricks. Um, there's even a handful of the presentations, some video of presentations that I've done in the past that you can go walk through. So all of those are available. We've got a link to that as well in our show notes at googleteacherpodcast.com slash 107. All right, folks, that wraps up another episode of the Google Teacher Podcast. And hopefully after this discussion, your mind is just full of all sorts of cool ideas that you could use. Or if you're using any of these student standards or if they have inspired anything in your classroom, we would love, 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 love to hear from you. So, you know, we do love those voice messages. With our new name of our podcast, we also have a new hashtag. So we're going to be going with the GT pod hashtag. We'd love for you to go ahead and and give that a shot here pretty quick. So if you've got something to share with us, we would love to, uh, to see you over there on Twitter with the GT pod hashtag. Thank
1: you so much for joining us today and we will catch you in the next episode.
2: Bye y'all.
0: Thanks for listening to the Google teacher podcast. Never miss an episode by subscribing wherever you listen to podcasts and by visiting our website, googleteacherpodcast.com. Join the conversation on Twitter by using the hashtag GTPod. Until next time, keep harnessing that g Suite power, and may the Googles be with you.
2: Deck.
1: is that your sexy voice matt yes it is
2: <laughs> <laughs> like velvet and butter you're definitely the instigator sometimes of course so am i so, so make this I make this to get thing a work lot of right things
1: in my own life yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah all right you can't get us to shut up anymore
1: <laughs> uh, yeah i was like okay that's enough wait until so. you turn on the butter
2: right yeah that's right hello there (laughs) to all you out in radio land
1: welcome to the google teacher podcast
2: yeah my name is jimmy matt smooth i'm here for you all night with a nice selection of (laughs) jazz that will electrify your soul yeah yeah